Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we dissect what went wrong for the Winnipeg Jets. They got swept by the Montreal Canadiens. Murat Atesh of the Athletic will help us look back and look ahead to what needs to change going forward. We'll also be joined by Jonathan Kongbo of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Just signed with the team coming back. He won a great cup with them in 2019. That's all coming up on the podcast. To digest, digest, to dissect, and I guess digest, what happened to the Winnipeg Jets over the last week and how it went so wrong so quickly, we are welcoming in our friend Murat Atesh of The Athletic. Murat, how are you doing tonight, a day after the season ended for the Winnipeg Jets? Well, a few extra coffees in the day. I've probably doubled my caffeine intake, but we're here. We're dissecting, we're digesting, um, and, and turning our attention both to the series and to the off season already. So the Jets go from sweeping to getting swept. Is it too simple to say that losing Mark Scheifele and Dylan DeMello cost them the series, or is this just a bad matchup for them in hindsight? I think that it is too simple to say that, though it should be acknowledged. Uh, so let's start with Dylan DeMello. His injury, I think, is one of the most underrated statements or circumstances of Winnipeg's playoff run. Uh, consider Winnipeg's defensive improvements. If you believe you saw them against Edmonton, well, what was the biggest personnel change? It was moving Dylan DeMello up alongside Josh Morrissey, who on the top pair seems to be a little bit partner dependent. I thought the two of them read off of each other very, very well in that series. Um, the version of Morrissey with Tucker Pullman has not seen as much success. And I think that that was a story in the series against Montreal. It was also just a story in game one leading to some of Montreal's goals because a minute into the game, Winnipeg's running a 5D situation uh, and partners are playing together that maybe have not necessarily done so. You've got a couple of lefty-lefty pairings, etc. So I think Dylan DeMello is actually somebody whose quality we don't necessarily appreciate often enough. Certainly, Mark Scheifele's quality is well-known and uh, fully appreciated. That said, the systemic issues and Montreal's heavy forecheck, Winnipeg's inability to clear pucks, move out of the zone. You know, Montreal was winning that game when Scheifele made the hit that got him suspended. So I don't think it's quite as simple as Winnipeg would obviously have won this thing if Scheifele were around. The one chance he had, no, Winnipeg did not win. But certainly, if you're the Jets trying to come back, those were some massive losses. So it's two years in a row where they lose Mark Scheifele in game one of a playoff series and don't really recover. They also lost Lion A and Appleton in the series against Calgary. They also lose DeMello this year. But what does it say about this team that when their top line center goes down, and I know a lot of teams would be in, in some trouble if their top center goes down, but the Jets just had no response, no recovery, no plan B, and no adjustments to make. What does it say about the team and, the and I guess, the from the players to the coaches to the management. Yeah, I go back to that series against Calgary where you sort of saw Winnipeg as a 50-50 opponent against Calgary. You know, you thought maybe Connor Hellebuck would be the difference and the Jets would advance as soon as you lose Shifley and, of course, Line and Appleton big losses as well. Well, that becomes a, a story. The Jets win one game and that's it. That's all. Um, supposedly, this team was supposed to be insulated against that. 
You have the acquisition of Paul Stastny, who's no longer such a good second-line center that he's almost a first-line center. That's the version we saw in 2018. Now he's more of an average second-line center. And not only that, coming back from injury not at 100% takes a penalty uh, that you don't like necessarily in Game 3. Not his best play, to be sure. Pierre-Luc Dubois, the guy acquired for Patrick Laine and Jack Roslevic, um, unable to fill the void as well. So on paper, you're looking at Winnipeg and you're saying, well, they should be deep. This is the best center depth that they've had in a little while and certainly better than what they had last year. But when it came, uh, when push came to shove, Dubois was not able to, to step up into that role. I have lots of patience for him long term, but I don't think we can say he's been a success so far. Paul Stastny was unable to do it as well. And now you have line shuffling being kind of the only trump card left in Paul Maurice's deck, as opposed to finding ways to attack the middle of the ice and protect the, the slot in front of Winnipeg's goaltender as well. Uh, it was a personnel exacerbated situation to be sure, but also uh, the players that were there and the coach that was there did not find a way to do any better against Montreal than what we saw. Now, there are those that don't put as much stock in analytics as you and I do. They would suggest that maybe, you know, the fact that they swept the Oilers was an indication that they were doing something right. The reality was the expected goals were in Edmonton's favor all four games. They're in the, their opponent's favor a lot over the last couple of years. Analytically, this team has not been great. Over the last couple seasons, basically, Connor Hellebuck has stolen them a number of games. So does that say something about the system going stale in Winnipeg? Or do we need to maybe not put as much stock in the analytical publicly available models? Well, both, in a way, is, is my opinion. I mean, the last time that Winnipeg not only won, but won while controlling the flow of play, was 2018, the first half of the 2018-2019 season. Winnipeg was off to a hot start, not only by the wins, but by flow of play. They were uh, filling in teams. They were taking it to teams. They were trucking teams. Dustin Bufflin was a force. Nikolai Ehlers was flying. Both of those guys got hurt partway through the season. And whether that's it, that's all, or the consternation about the room or what have you that the rumors always seem to speak to um, had anything else to do with it, the one thing that we know and actually can say is that there was a second half collapse. And since 2019 and heading into that St. Louis series, Winnipeg has been not just a sub 50% team when it comes to flow of shots or expected goals or shot attempts, um, but it's been remarkably so. And I know that the Winnipeg Jets have Connor Hellebuck as a legitimate strength. The goaltender is part of a team too. He was my Hart Trophy number one vote last year. Uh, and certainly I believe that uh, he should be in the Vesna consideration again this year. He won it a year ago. Um, similarly, the Winnipeg Jets, one of their biggest strengths is tremendous shooting talent. And those, the analytics that we publicly cite with shot attempts or expected goals even doesn't necessarily give credence to who's shooting. It doesn't necessarily reference pre-shot puck movement, which could be Mark Shifley making a tremendous play uh, you know, to set up a player like Kyle Connor and those sorts of things. But what we do know is that maybe Winnipeg can outperform a little bit of being pushed around zone time-wise. They cannot outperform what was the literal worst expected goals series any team has put up 
since shot locations started to be tracked in 2007-2008. And that's what Montreal just did to the Winnipeg Jets, whether it's expected goals, zone time, whatever metric you use, it was utter dominance. And I think with the roster that we see, even absent Shifley, even Dylan DeMello, I think there's a strong argument to be made that Winnipeg should be better than that. It's almost like they haven't recovered from losing Dustin Bufflin yet, have they? I wonder. That has a lot of things in my mind for a couple of reasons. One, um, one, the idea that is just that he's a special player. He's a unique player. Um, there are few like him. When you look at Winnipeg struggling to gain the offensive blue line because there are no numbers there, you think of Dustin Bufflin uh, attacking the neutral zone up the sidewall. He'd often get passes from Blake Wheeler, cross ice underneath the, underneath the forechecking pressure in the neutral zone, and then he'd be able to attack the line. There, there's a lot of dynamic that he adds. If you're looking for physicality against, uh, against Montreal in that series or protecting the front of the net, who could have added that better? So that's a definite part of it. Another part is, is certainly the idea that taking him away from the team uh, or him leaving the team, pardon me, is a, is a huge, huge hole to, to fill. And I, I don't know what a realistic timeline is to go from, uh, you know, Myers and Sherratt signing elsewhere, Truba Nets, N- N- Neil Pionk, which is obviously he, that's worked out well for Winnipeg, but Bustlin's gone. I don't know what a fair timeline is for the Winnipeg Jets to rebuild and retool that defensive core. All I can say for sure is that they have yet to do it. It has not been a success in the two years that they've had without him. And then the last thing, Christian, you're getting a rant out of me. You said his name and here we go. Um, if you look at Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor's defensive numbers, uh, they have not been good defensive players in any situation, uh, nearly any situation, except for when Dustin Bufflin was playing behind them. And I think a reason that's been pointed out to me and that I believe is that because Dustin Bufflin and his partners were so historically good at stopping pucks and shutting down cycles and getting possession moving in the other direction, that you didn't need Mark Shifley to be the world's best two-way player or Kyle Connor to be the world's best two-way winger. You know, Winnipeg had tremendous offensive talent that really fed off of the fact that Bufflin played almost universally behind Winnipeg's top line. There is a lot missing there, and Winnipeg still hasn't filled the gap. Well, and they were handcuffed too. Instead of thinking, okay, we're you know after the season ends, uh, they lose to St. Louis, and Bufflin says, "I'm done." It's they expect all summer that he's going to be there. They go into training camp expecting he's going to be there. All of a sudden, a you don't have him on the ice, and B, you've got this enormous contract sitting there that you can't spend money to replace him, and that really sunk them with their defense last year. They get, you know, Dylan DeMello, who's been a, a nice defender, but, you know, a lot of minutes had to go to to Jordy Ben towards the end of the season. Derek Forbert started the season strong, definitely didn't finish the season all that strong, and they still haven't really recovered. So I guess as we transition into looking ahead to next year, it's a topic I guess we've talked about for a couple of years now, but is defense at the top of the list of Shovel Dayoff's to-do list? Absolutely it is. You know, Winnipeg needs to decide whether it is rebuilding on the fly, con- committed to win, what have you. But right now, the solutions look like a youth movement. Ville Hanel at 20 years old has tremendous promise you might need to endure some growing pains to play him in a top four situation uh, such that you get the most out of him. And there are young, dynamic offensive defensemen uh, who have success in the NHL at early ages, especially when they have the brains and the skill set of this player. Uh, certainly, 
The Winnipeg Jets showed patience with Logan Stanley that paid off at 23 years old. His rookie season was strong. I don't think that you automatically pencil a sheltered uh, third-pairing defenseman, even if he played well, into your top four next season. Dylan Sandberg may work his way into the conversation as well. But let's imagine that all three of these players have the best-case scenario. Is Winnipeg really showing over the last couple of seasons that they're willing to invest that much time in youth development as opposed to pending free agents such as Derek Forbert, uh, such as, I guess that Nathan Bowie would be next year, but Lucas Spiza heading into last off season as well. It seems that a lot of the development time goes to players who are not necessarily in the long-term plans. Um, and I got to say as well that I have plenty of time because we don't know, we're not flies on the wall for Kevin Sheveldayoff's handling of Dustin Bufflin from a human point of view. Whatever their relationship is, if they, if Sheveldayoff genuinely believed that he had hope, that there was any reason at all to wait, I think Bufflin is such a special and unique player that it's worth some of that pain and some of that consternation and patience uh, from Sheveldayoff. But we don't know the details of exactly what went wrong. So all we can go by is the results. And the results are exactly as you described them. No Bufflin, no cap space either, no solutions. And, and here we are still a year later. So before I let you go then, n- not expecting changes in the GM or coaching ranks, are we? You know, this one I'm not sure about. I I know that Paul Maurice, to my understanding, has one year left on his contract with a club option for an extension after that. I'm not sure what Kevin Sheveldayoff's situation is. Traditionally in this scenario, if the if the organization decides that it's time to move on, it would be the coach that goes first. And Paul Maurice, if anybody's job is on the hot seat, uh, it would be him. Now, of course, historically, we also have, you know, that second half collapse uh, and the loss to St. Louis in the first round. Well, they started to work on an extension for Paul Maurice uh, that summer following that exit. So I, I think that the organization really does take a zoomed out long term view of things. And, and, you know, to the degree that Paul Maurice is an ambassador for the city, to the degree that. Um, things have included a couple of playoff series wins. They have the built-in excuses of, of Shifley's injury, or sorry, Shifley's suspension, pardon me, and DeMello's injury. There may be enough here for them to sell the idea that we'll do this again and we'll, everything will go well. Uh, but I'm not as convinced of that as I've traditionally been in, in previous off-seasons. So, Christian, we're all guessing. At least I'll tell you I'm guessing, but I'm not sure what to expect. Uh, and, and that's a new feeling for me. All right, well, we'll uh, put a stick in this one now, and we'll obviously have a lot to talk about when it comes to free agency and the expansion draft coming up. Murad, appreciate your time as always. Thank you so much. Thanks, Christian. CFL News. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers yesterday announced they had re-signed defensive end Jonathan Kongbo, part of their 2019 Grey Cup champion squad. And Jonathan joins us now on the CGOB Sports Show. Jonathan, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. I'm glad to be here. How are you? I'm doing well. How does it feel to be uh, coming back to Winnipeg in the not-too-distant future? Oh, no, it feels great, um, especially with the pandemic and how the last year and a half has been. Um, you know, we're getting close, and things seem very positive, so I'm really excited to head back out there. So where are you right now? Uh, right now I'm in Seattle. Okay, so uh, do, have you been told what the, the process is for you to get to Winnipeg, or is that going to be told to you once the season's plans are more finalized? 
Yeah, so I've just been told to wait for the, the June 14th meeting, and I feel like that meeting is going to bring a lot of clarity as far as when to officially report and an official schedule will come up. So is it exciting to, to know that we're less than a week away from perhaps getting the ball really rolling on this thing? Oh, man, it's exciting. I know for myself and many other players around the league, you know, it's, it's, been, it's been a while. So to get some type of clarity, that's going to be, it's going to be thrilling. So when did you get the, the itch to, to come back to the CFL? Um, so after the Great Cup winning year, I signed to the San Francisco 49ers. That, that went really well. and Unfortunately, I ended up getting hurt at camp. Um, so they had to let me go and whatnot. So uh, just from that time till now, I've just been working out, you know, waiting on teams to call me. But, you know, the closer we're getting to the season, it, I just asked myself what really mattered to me. And that was to be in a, in a good environment with a good front office, you know, good trainers, good players, a good locker room. So with that in mind, it was quite easy what uh, the options were. And that was to come back to Winnipeg. So when you say uh, sitting around waiting for a call, are you referring to NFL opportunities there? Yeah, NFL opportunities. Okay, so you f- you felt like you ha- you did a good showing though in San Francisco. Do you feel like you could have made the team had you not been injured? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, everything was looking looking positive before the injury, but you know, there's there was obviously I know it sounds cliche, but there's a bigger plan to it, and you know, I'm a, a firm believer of things happen for a reason, so. Coming back to Winnipeg, you know, I think it's all part of the plan. So when you look back at uh, 2019, and that's obviously the last time there was a CFL season, it feels like it's at the same time been a long time ago, but also not that long ago. What do you remember most about that Grey Cup run? Man, I just remember, uh, I think it was one point in the semifinal game against Saskatchewan. I just remember the feeling on the sideline where it felt like we were all in it together. And whatever your role was, if it was on special teams, offense, or defense, I felt like everyone just played their role and didn't complain, and we were just in it for the common goal. And when I look back at that 2019 season, those are the vivid memories that I get. Where's your great cup ring? Oh, it's at home. I let my parents take care of it, you know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure something would happen if I, if I had it on me. Nice in a safe spot, then. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. So do you, over the course of the last 16, 17, 18 months, have you stayed in touch with people in Winnipeg, members of the Bombers? Yeah, no. Um, so like I said, when you win a championship together with a group of guys, I think that uh, that forms relationships that truly do last a lifetime. And, you know, I've been in contact with Willie, been in contact with Thierry, who's one of my really good friends, and just kind of talking to those guys, you know, just keeping in touch, staying in touch. We all, we still all have a group chat that we, uh, we talk it up on. So, and just people in the community too. Um, people that I met out eating, people I met out at the grocery store, just been keeping in touch with people from Winnipeg. So when you made the decision to go try your luck in the NFL, how long have you been in the United States? Have you been down, down there this whole time during the pandemic or have you been able to go home to Canada a little bit? Yeah, I've been able to go uh, home to Canada. So for six months, six or eight months of the pandemic, I was down in the States. I was down in California. And um, it's kind of crazy to see the contrast of down there and, and up here. It's it's only when I came back to Canada that I realized we're still in a pandemic. So um, I spent half and half there and here. And uh, as you mentioned, that the 
the look of how different life was down there to up here. Did that make you want to go back to the States, seeing the restrictions up here? Did you feel safer up here? What was that like? Um, I think just, you know, following the health guidelines, practicing, you know, social distancing. We've all know it sounds like a broken record, washing your hands. I just felt like when I maintained a, a good hygiene, you know, obviously it lowers the risk. But as far as safety, I think I definitely felt safer in Canada. You know, even though with all the restrictions, you could tell the numbers were somewhat in control for some of the pandemic. So I definitely felt safer up in Canada. So what have you been able to to do then in terms of workouts over the last year or so to get ready for this spot where you didn't know where you'd end up playing, you just knew you wanted to play football? Yeah, yeah. So I just knew that wherever I ended up come this September, I will be playing football. So I would just always had that faith in the back of my head. And, you know, it does get trying some days because there's no direction or you don't know what you're really working towards. But, you know, it was just mainly keeping the faith. So I was lucky enough in Vancouver, I have a, I had a trainer who had a gym in his garage. So we really just, we got it the old school way, you know, dark garage, just getting the work in, doing the field work. And when I was in Arizona, I spent most of my time at this facility called Legends Athletic Performance. So I was able to get a good off-season training despite the circumstances. So the process of coming back to Winnipeg, did they contact you? Did you contact them? How did that go down? Um, you know, it's it's kind of crazy. It's a thing that, like I said, we just kept in touch. You know, they um, I was really appreciative of the way it worked out and them allowing, releasing me, allowing me to get an opportunity down south. And just throughout the whole time, they, were, they would just check on me, you know, ask me how I was doing, how things were. And it wasn't necessarily about football, but just, you know, more about life. So, you know, the closer that it got to a season, you know, I reached back out to Coach Osh and, you know, I expressed my interest, you know, possibly coming back. And we just kind of went from there. I mean, we're looking at the roster here, and it's pretty similar to the one that won the Grey Cup in 2019. That's what I'm <laughs> it's, so you're liking the odds. Everyone's fresh. Everyone's ready to go to, to run it back and defend the title. Yeah. Yeah, I'm liking the odds. And that was honestly a big part of the reason why I came back. Especially the defense that was just so good in the playoffs. I mean, you look back to that great cup, I'm sure if you think about it, was that the game where if you think of your football career, just everything was clicking for your unit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are one of the few games where everything was unison. Offense, defense, just everyone was doing their part. And just kind of thinking of that and then looking at the, the roster, like you said, it's just the same guys coming back. So I don't know why we can't do it again. What would you think of playing a great cup in mid-December in Hamilton, Ontario? <laughs> I mean, if you played in Winnipeg in late October, November, I think, you know, it's not too bad. I know it's going to be cold, but, you know, if you played Canadian football in the CFL before, you know it's going to be cold. So um, I think with taking the year off, and everyone coming back, I think just the opportunity to play in a great cup would be would be good enough. I agree. And for anyone that thinks, oh, the West Final, it's going to be in like Regina or Winnipeg at the start of December, people won't care. They've been inside for 18 months. They want to go. They don't care where it is. They don't care how cold it is. They want to go see a football game. So I yeah, think it'll be they great. Yeah, be outside. Yeah, I think it'll be great too. Well, Jonathan, appreciate your time tonight. Congrats on the new deal, and uh, hopefully we see you in Winnipeg pretty soon.
Yeah, for sure. I really appreciate your time, man. I hope you guys take care. Thank you very much. That is Jonathan Kongbo, defensive end, who just signed with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on a one-year deal. The defense gets stronger for the Blue Bombers. And, again, a meeting on Monday, a conference call where the league's Big wigs are going to vote on the August 5th start date, and if it all goes ahead, then a schedule release will follow shortly thereafter, and the ball gets rolling on the 2021 training camp, etc. Players coming to their cities. CFL football, folks, I can feel it. It's not far away. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that they should come to this. We try to warn you over the day. You may not share our intellect.